When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They made us laugh, they made us cry, they made us swoon over men with floppy hair and puka shell necklaces. Romantic comedies of the 1990s. You love them, we love them, and Julie Roberts and Meg Ryan's bank accounts certainly love them. It's been literally decades since these comedy classics graced the silver screens and blockbuster video shelves, and now the great pop culture debate wants to determine the best romantic comedy film of the 1990s. Eliza Minnelli impersonator also stole my dead babysitter's car. I'm your host, Eric Resniak. Please welcome my panel for this episode episode. She's guided by a force much greater than luck. It's Ama Marfo. This podcast is about to be an excellent time. It is and happy Rex Manning day to you, Ama. <laughs> and also with you. Thank you. <laughs> She's anything but clueless about 10 things I hate about you. It's Jennifer Chen. Hi, I definitely hate most things. So I, I feel like that movie just sums up who I am. Well, that's perfect. And I just have to say that I'm so glad that you're back and I hope it won't be sporadically. And she's just a girl sitting in front of a microphone asking you to love her hot takes. It's Joelle Bodecker. Eric, I'm not crying. You're crying. I am crying. Have you seen the state of the world we're living in? But anyway... So before we want to, we get into this debate, how does this work? We made a poll of just about every significant romantic comedy film that was released in American theaters between 1990 and 1999. Note that we were broad in our interpretation of romantic comedy, something that will certainly inform some of the decisions that are made in this episode. More than 70 people took the poll. We tallied their votes, ranked the picks by popularity, and added them to a bracket. Now we argue about it and insult each other, all for your amusement. Want to play along at home? You can. Head to greatpopculturedebate.com and go to poll and brackets. There you'll find the downloadable listener brackets for this and every episode of our little show. Do your packs, picks match up with ours? Do you think we need to call a radio psychologist and talk through the issues in our lives? Let us know by dropping a comment on this episode at our website or by yelling at us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And lastly, if you're curious about how we went from the top 32 down to the sweet 16, become a Patreon supporter of our podcast. Our Patreons at the $5 level or higher get exclusive access to the warm-up slash part ones for each episode in which we work our way through all of the round one debates. It's like a whole bonus episode for each topic and includes arguments you will not hear anywhere else. And it's only just one of our great Patreon perks, so consider supporting us on Patreon today. With that out of the way, let's kick off these debates. First up, it's ultimate number one seed, 10 Things I Hate About You, which is up against five seed, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Alma, give me at least three things you love about 10 Things I Hate About You. I won't keep any secrets for why I think Don't Tell Mom should advance. And I'm going to have Alma go first. So... Earlier, we were talking a little bit about the nature of 90s rom-coms in particular and the teen ones, the teen-focused ones, how they work, whether they hold up or not. And I think of the ones that were made in that era to kind of get teens learning stories that are in books by putting beautiful teens in their places to watch it. I think 10 Things I Hate About You probably holds up the best. I think it kind of interrogates some of the parts of Taming of the Shrew that have their own problems and kind of comes out with an effective solution for everyone involved. That cast is incredibly charming. Even Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who it's pretty hard to get me to enjoy. I'm not really sure why that is. I don't have an explanation, (laughs) but for whatever reason, most of the time I'm just like, I don't care, man. 
I don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> but even in this, he kind of like does what he needs to do. Um, another reason, another thing that I love about this movie, um, the scene singing on the bleachers, originally that was going to be a different song. And then Heath Ledger was like, what if we use this? And then it ended up being Can't Take My Eyes Off of You. And it's a perfect pick, but it wasn't even the one it was originally going to be. He just has really good instincts, had really good instincts. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, it's just it's a fun way to go about addressing this story. And again, I think of the ones of that era that were serving that purpose, it is the most timeless of them, even while also being very much a 90s movie. Yeah. So I'm going to admit something. And um, I, I'm already feeling very vulnerable admitting this. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, oh, God, Eric. This is going to be one of my hottest of hot takes. Oh, I don't no. like 10 things I hate <gasps> about you. I, and, and, and much like Ama cannot oh, explain God. why she dislikes Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I can't explain why I don't like this movie because I like the cast. I like everybody in the cast. I just, I, like, <clears throat> I think it's because I saw it after so many people talked it up so much for me. And sure. this is like, years ago like we're talking like 15 years ago and i'm just sitting here i'm like at what point does this get good because like you've all been telling (laughs) Mm -hmm. me how amazing this film is and i'm like looking at my watch doing the judge judy thing like (laughs) like, where where is it because like this is it's it's not bad but i just don't i don't love it i think it's fine and so for that reason i'm not a huge fan but i understand it is beloved by so many it's the ultimate number one seed in this bracket i feel that way about don't tell mom the babysitter is dead which Mm -hmm. i know there are some people who are going to argue eric that is not a romantic comedy and to that i say fie fie on you (laughs) Um, you cannot tell me that the josh the clown dog server and sue ellen relationship is not a romance it very clearly is and it is a through line for the whole film is it the number one most important thing in this movie no it's not this is a movie about a bright young woman who's left alone to take care of herself after a terrible uh caretaker departs early and and that's great for everybody because she was awful and then she schemes her way in a good way to a career in you know low-tier fashion management like (laughs) that's life goals and so i see it as aspirational but that doesn't mean that the romantic part of it is not still important to the plot if you don't have josh there the third act doesn't even happen so i think the argument that it's not a romantic comedy is inaccurate It's not the sole point of the movie, but it's an important facet to it. And that romance is just total, adorable, 90s teen swoony goals. Um, With that being said, I know I'm outnumbered here and I'm not going to sway anybody because I think the other members of this panel are with 99.9% of the American public and adore 10 things I hate about you. (laughs) Jen, where are you on this one? You know, hmm, you, uh, your argument actually is making me think about it because I haven't watched 10 Things I Hate About You until recently. So it was one of those movies that I was like, okay. And I, I thought actually Julia Stiles and um, Heath Ledger have such great chemistry that that's what won me over. Like there's parts of it I don't, I don't love about the movie. Like I don't know why she flashes the substitute, but um, I, I'm still going to stand with 10 Things I Hate About You because I think there's... <laughs> There's just Heath Ledger, Heath Ledger, Heath Ledger. And, and, he, 
he is great and he's good in the movie. He was good in everything. And I'm not just yeah, talking yeah. about the obvious stuff. Like A Knight's Tale is a really good movie. And why uh, did we not embrace that as a country? I Can I ask that, that question? Oh, it was heavily uh, embraced in my household. Okay, good. My, fa- my father loves that movie. Uh, we're big, big fans. Yeah, it's a great movie. Um, Joelle? This is like, uh, you know, uh, Joelle's first crush versus Joelle's later mm. crush because I was obsessed with Josh Charles. Yes. And then, uh, yes, and then yes. 1999 so comes around and I meet Heath Ledger and I'm like, yeah. who? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love I love both of these movies. These movies are like you know, you know, fighting for my affection right now. It's killing me. Um, this is like in the first round, Eric, the, with the two movies that were up against each other in this uh, bracket. That um, we will talk about it. Whoever listens to that will get to find out what that was. I'll give you um, a spoiler. It was Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion versus my my uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, which are two films that are like dear to my heart and like an important milestones in my formation progress as go on joel it split eric's heart in half it did if i had one if you had one (laughs) at all um no this one is this one hurts me quite a bit but at the end of the day the romantic comedy to me the definition the more romantic comedy aspects is in 10 things we hate hate about you it's in both but it's more in 10 things i hate about you so that's that's my vote completely fine i knew i was not going to win that but i had to speak my truth i had to do it <laughs> um next it's so 10 things i hate about you will advance next in a battle of 90s rom-com leading ladies it's julia roberts and three seed my best friend's wedding and drew barrymore and two seed ever after a cinderella story joelle explain why we should keep ever after going to the ball i will try to sabotage the ceremony and steal the votes from my best friend's wedding i'm gonna have joelle go first this is great because this wasn't even in my original bracket. And I'm so excited I can talk about this now. Um, first of all, I uh, didn't expect this movie to be the comedy that it was. And when I discovered it was a comedy all over again, I was so delighted. This is so much funnier than I remember it being. Um, I mentioned in the last round, there are all these one-liners from Leonardo da Vinci that are some of my favorite one-liners from that movie. Um, We talked about Melanie Linsky, the secret 90s princess that everyone didn't know about and we all apparently knew about, but no one else did. She's in this movie just showing her adorable face throughout this entire movie. um, And she, she's funny in this movie. Let's not forget about her. Um, Everyone in this movie is funny. Freaking Angelica Houston uh, being the awful stepmother actually has some pretty funny lines herself. So this movie's a comedy, even though it's also it has that heartbreak, it has that Cinderella story. Um, the romantic part of it, and what you're hearing from me, by the way, is I have a spreadsheet. I have the romantic column and the comedy column. Mm-hmm. So in the romantic <laughs> column, um, I have Henry and Danlo- Danielle fall in love talking about books. They, they both save each other, which I think is one of my favorite things about Ever After. It is not just the classic Cinderella story or the classic princess story or whatever, where he always saves her. They, they have both sides of this, which is something that you don't see every day in this kind of um, this kind of story. So um, as a movie, as a drama, as a comedy, these, this movie just stands out over and over and over again. It's one of the best takes on Cinderella I've ever seen. Um, and freaking Drew Barrymore. Let's send her up. Come on. That's it. Yeah, and I will also, Drew Barrymore, number one, and huge Drew Barrymore fan here, but also Duke Ray Scott is a babe in that movie. Oh, yeah. Like, he is very crushable in that film, and he's one of the great, like, what-ifs of Hollywood, you know what I mean? Because he was going to be Wolverine, 
He was cast really? in the oh yes, oh. he was cast as the original Wolverine in the first X Men movie, and he got um, injured or filming on Mission Impossible ran over, and they had to pull him, and he was furious, and that's when they got Hugh Jackman in. So fun oh, fact: wow. if you're listening to this, originally Do Gray Scott was cast to play Wolverine in the original so, X Men film. Hey he, Hugh Jackman, you're welcome. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. but also like imagine <laughs> being Do Gray Scott and looking at Hugh Jackman's career and like every day just like your tongue turning to ash in your mouth <laughs> that's intense I'm be in a feud with ryan reynolds right now but yes. no devil <laughs> yeah okay so let me talk a little bit about uh my best friend's wedding here i was like what movie am i talking about <laughs> so um julia roberts undisputedly one of the queens of 90s rom-coms she's in two of the films that are still in the sweet 16 and um, I would argue that my best friend's wedding is, well, actually, they're both really problematic, like deeply problematic films. Um, but her character in this film is largely reprehensible. The <laughs> film is saved almost entirely by its supporting cast, who are all largely likable. Cameron Diaz is the bride-to-be, who Julia's char- narcissist character is hellbent on destroying. Dermot Mulroney is the oafish best friend, who she decides she's no. magically and in- really in love with, only after he's no longer on oh, her back backburner. What's wrong? I got confused. You called him Oafish Best, and I was thinking you were talking about the um, the the gay best friend when you said best friend. I got confused. Sorry. No, 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 no. Like the best friend whose wedding she's trying to yeah. destroy so she can marry him, which that's going to work out. And then Rupert Everett, who arguably created or at least perfected the role of the gay best friend who will charm a room to cover your messy, embarrassing straight woman <laughs> antics. So... That being said, why do I feel that it should inc- uh, advance here over Ever After? You can, I mean, there's massive pros, there's massive cons to this film, but if we're talking about which one has more of a legacy, I think it's undoubtedly Wedding, which reignited Julia's then slumping career, and it made massive bank on top of it. I don't think we get Julia post-2000s renaissance if this movie didn't happen, because leading up to this movie, she was in a string of flops. So that's my argument. I'm going to pass it to Ama. Where are you on this one? I'm on my best friend's wedding here. I think that you're absolutely right about pointing out the fact that you have a main character that is reprehensible, but I also feel like she doesn't get what she wants. And Mm. that's an interesting additional point of representation is Mm. like, what does a happy ending look like? And in that instance, it looks like for um, Dermot Moroni's character to end up with Kimmy. That's what he wanted. He gets what he wants. And she has to kind of reconsider everything she's been doing, why she's doing it and where she can go next. So I do think that it kind of addresses the reprehensibility. Um, I mean, I also think like to your point, we don't get like the 2000s resurgence of uh, Julia Roberts. We don't get Cameron Diaz's career either. Cause she had kind of been doing things here and there and just kind of exploded with this. And mm-hmm. we got a great deal as a result of that, including Drew Barrymore. So yep. great yeah, point. my best friend's wedding. Great points. I, I especially like the like, okay, but she doesn't actually win in the end, which I was like, yep, okay, good point. Jen, where are you? I'll be honest, I don't really care for either of these movies. So <laughs> I'm I'm like I don't care. I, I if I were to write in a vote, I would just be blank. Okay. <laughs> so if you pass, it yeah. goes to my best friend's wedding. If you were to vote for Ever After, Ever After would succeed would mm. advance. Ooh. Gosh, why is it up to me? I don't want to. I know. Um, okay, I'll go with Julia Roberts then. 
Okay, so my best friend's wedding will advance to round three. Next, the panel unanimously wants to log into AOL and see who messaged one seed you've got mail, while five seed the cutting edge was bounced from metal contention. Nobody is voting for the cutting edge at this point, right, right, Ama? Uh-uh. No. Yeah, I didn't think so. Um, I, I'm still kind of amazed that it made the Sweet 16, but here we are. Uh, next, the bulk <laughs> of the panel wants to keep experimenting with seven seed, but I'm a cheerleader. But Amma wants to walk down the aisle with three seed father of the bride. Joelle, why are you still a convert for cheerleader? Amma, don't give away your shot for father of the bride. I'm going to have Amma go first. I mean, I, I love both of these movies. I do think that in some cases there's an element of sentimentality here for me because I like, but I'm a cheerleader, but Father of the Bride, I think being able to watch it like as a family growing up, watching it so often and being so deeply connected to the comedians involved in it, to like the aesthetic that it kind of built together. Um, I had a friend that I met during a summer program in high school that grew up in San Marino where it takes care, where it takes place. And I lost my mind, was just so excited and had so many questions for, um, yeah, this, it's a, it's a pretty sentimental vote and I'm not ashamed to put that in, but it's just, it's again, a different type of romance. And we talked a little bit about that in the uh, bonus episode about types of romance that are represented. And the father daughter bond here is something that like, of course, not literally romantic, that's gross, but there's like a sense of romance about the type of relationship you could have with your father or with your daughter. That's really, really nice. And you don't really see it put forth that way very often. I love that. That's really sweet. Um, Joel, talk to me about, but I'm a cheerleader. Um, yeah. So, but I'm a cheerleader is, a movie that uh, it's the representation on this bracket that is missing from every other movie. Um, and by that, I mean, it's the gay representation on this bracket that's missing from this movie. There's also like, you know, some non-white characters in this movie yeah. that I think is missing yeah. uh, from a lot of these other movies. Um, it's, it's also um, one of my favorite aspects of, but I'm a cheerleader is how much of it is just a straight up devotion to John Waters um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not, not something you see in a rom-com of any kind. And obviously this is a very, different rom-com it's very satirical very dark mm-hmm. um which you know does not always meet the genre um i I've, I've always loved this movie as just this like you know movie you keep in your back pocket you can't like it's not an everyday movie like you can throw a, a normal rom-com on in the background but you sometimes you need that snark and you need that like just passive aggressiveness and you need uh you know the bright colors of this movie that just mm-hmm. the art direction of this movie is so incredible just every time they're in a room and it's like all pink and all yes. blue and you're like yeah how anyone came up with putting this movie together yes. and and the cheap budget i'm sure they had is, oh yeah it's simply yeah. amazing by the way Mel- melanie Linsky also in this movie yeah also in this movie yeah. the number of people that are in this movie just sneakily we, we mm-hmm. love our natasha leones um and we have rupaul in this movie very yes. unexpectedly we talked about that in the first round too um this is just one heck of a movie and i rewatched it recently and i just was i was blown away all over again so i think it's my vote there you go. Jen, where are you on this one? 100%, but I'm a cheerleader. It's, I, I feel like it's one of those movies that is just actually romantic at the very end. Very, very romantic. It's true. And you made the yeah. point in the first part where like it has a grand romantic gesture at the yeah. end of it that mm-hmm. the lead character could not have done at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And 
I had not thought about that when I was originally filling out my panel or my, my panel, my bracket, but I love that as kind of a litmus test for what things should advance. And this one really nails that when we were talking about the cast, we also did not mention Kathy Moriarty, who is terrific. And I think she's one of those often overlooked actresses, but she is really great at that lane that she drives in um unmistakable in that so i think it's three for but i'm a cheerleader one for father of the bride i'm sorry ama i would say if we are talking about character growth let's give some credit to father of the bride that is the whole point of that movie um he is trying to get his act together and yeah (laughs) and get something working but it's not nearly to the extreme of but i'm a cheerleader but that we're, we're comparing two movies of you know someone growing and figuring out how to deal with changing life so I yes. do like that comparison. So we are, and this is kind of a shocker because, but I'm a cheerleader is a seven seed and it's advancing to round three, which I is. I love it. It's rare. a Cinderella story. Cinderella yes. story. I love it. Which yes. is ironic because the Cinderella story <laughs> just got knocked <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're, we're making up for it. It's beautiful. Yeah. All right. Next in a battle of enduring 90s teen slash 20 something gems, it's one seed Clueless, which totally didn't even pause before smashing <laughs> yeah. through five seed Empire Records via unanimous decision, I think. Oh my God. Is yes, it not course. unanimous? Of course. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. I figured it was. I didn't even check because I know the the group that I'm working with here. In <laughs> uh, what I think is currently unanimous decision, the panel is currently set to advance two seats sleepless in Seattle over six seat Jerry Maguire. Does anyone disagree? <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm not going to sway any votes, but my vote is still for Jerry Maguire. But I understand why you're all voting for sleepless in Seattle. Well, let's go around the horn then, because I was unclear by the way the brackets were initially felt. By the way, just so you're listening, there was a lot of changing of votes. In in the first round, we recorded this. Here's a little like how the sausage is made. We recorded this a couple months after we were initially supposed to do a do do, you know, some things that are going on in the world uh, that we won't talk about. But suffice it to say, there was a lead time that we don't normally have, and a lot of us, myself included, went back and looked at the decisions we had initially made and said, "Wow, that's a bad take. It's a bad yeah. call." So. Yeah. A lot of flopping in round one. Um, so let me ask this, Ama, where are you? Clueless versus Empire Records. Excuse me. Am I Jerry Maguire versus Sleepless in Seattle? Sleepless in Seattle. Okay. Uh, Jen, where are you? I think it's... I, I think you should know my answer yes. is Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, <laughs> we're very clear about that. She hates Jerry Maguire. <laughs> um, and, all right, Joelle, talk to me about why Jerry Maguire should advance then. I mean, the one thing I'll say is my old bracket had Notting Hill versus Jerry Maguire, and so mm. that would have been a very different vote. Um, but uh, I, I, I think I've mentioned Sleepless in Seattle. I just don't, I, I don't love it enough. And I think Jerry Maguire had all of the romantic um, storylines that were just merging together to, to you know, push this this one character to his 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 kind of you know the. The momentum of the movie, the the you complete me, you had me at hello, all of the moments that we remember from the uh, we we talked about the secret garden with quotes on top uh, uh, <laughs> a song that was all over the radio for like Ugh. an entire year. Um, Jerry Maguire was everywhere. It was the romantic comedy, the Cameron Crowe you couldn't get away from movie that was like '90s. Like it was it was that in Titanic. Like it was like those two movies were mm-hmm. the mid '90s. Like I. 
everyone was talking about Jerry Maguire. There, it was it was a little bit for everyone. I remember this was an R-rated movie, and for some reason, the movie theater let thirteen-year-old uh, me or twelve-year-old me, however old it was, however whatever year it was, they let me go in and watch that movie without carding me. I didn't even have a card to show them, uh, and I watched that movie with all of the um, scenes you should not see at that age. It was great. I loved it. Loved every second of it. It's great. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to say. I, I, I had when I watched it again recently, I had nostalgia come right back through me at that um, doesn't come back when I watch Sleepless in Seattle at this point. So my argument against that is um, I don't disagree that Jerry Maguire was, you know, Titanic level at that time. It was omnipresent and to a point where it became obnoxious. <laughs> um, but I think it's up against, I mean, Sleepless in Seattle is a juggernaut in this category, in my opinion. It is, um, it may not have got the box office that Jerry Maguire did or have gotten the awards that Jerry Maguire did. But I think in terms of the reception from both critics and audiences, it is perhaps even more beloved, I think, than Jerry Maguire. I also don't know if Jerry Maguire has anywhere close to the legacy that Sleepless in Seattle has. And, you know, you can say that that's not really relevant to this. We're talking about, you know, the films as they were, not necessarily as they are. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's even a specious argument. But I just, Jerry Maguire, for whatever reason, I don't think it's hitting in 20 in the 2020s whereas i just rewatched sleepless in seattle for this and i thought it was so charming and like perfectly done i think you had mentioned in the first part joelle that you're like don't think about the logistics because they're also kind of <laughs> creepy and i guess that's true but like i did not find i was a little bit worried for meg ryan's character i was like are you okay ma'am like <laughs> this is kind of weird behavior but i didn't find it threatening and more i was just like get it together mary like if you're gonna pay for a plane ticket at least say hello but there there are some activities that that she does in that movie that you know if you invert it there's a podcast listen to called the bechdel cast where uh -huh. they always they always mm. they call it the buscemi test mm. <laughs> If Steve Buscemi did it, would it be just as okay? Um, no. Like <laughs> yeah, it would not be okay if it was a man doing what. If it was, right. if, the, if the gender roles were reversed, yeah. it would not be okay. Right. But I'm okay because it is a woman doing that. <laughs> like I can't explain that, but here we are. Right. So I believe it is three for Sleepless in Seattle, one for Jerry Maguire. Next, the majority of the panel wants to throw it back to the '80s and one see the Wedding Singer. But Joelle wants to relive a specific day over and over and over and over <laughs> again with Four Seed Groundhog Day. Jen, why does the Wedding Singer still keep you entertained after all these years? Joelle, explain why Groundhog Day still got you, babe. Uh, I'll have. Jen, go first. Okay. I love The Wedding Singer. I've seen it, I don't even know how many times. I still think it's really funny. I think there's a real romance in there. And um, I still, still make, to this day, makes me laugh when he says, you're going to be Julia Gulia if you marry yes. him. <laughs> yes. I still think that is a, a great joke. And I don't, I, I just, I think Drew Barrymore is so sweet and cute in it. And then he's actually really charming. And I've, I feel like it's one of those movies where I actually buy him as a romantic lead. Mm -hmm. um, and I think them getting together is just like, so it's like, that's all you want. And that's what I want from a romance is like to root for the, the main couple. And I do root for them. So that's why I think it, it should move forward. Excellent argument. All right, Joe, I'll go for it. Um, fair enough. Uh, uh, I think the big thing about this movie, uh, the Groundhog Day, is the uh, what I mentioned in the first round, and I'll say it again: is it's the unexpected romantic aspects of it. You know, it, we all love this movie because it's 
the holiday no one ever really celebrates. And now we have this romantic movie to, uh, to, to, to watch on that day. And we have, uh, you know, romantic movies to watch on all the other big holidays. We have Christmas romantic movies coming out of our ears. Um, but we where have is one for the Groundhog Arbor day. day movie? Where is <laughs> Arbor Day? Where's the Arbor Day movie? <laughs> and, you know, Gary Marshall gave, did give us a lot of uh, romantic movies for every other holiday. I was just going to say, Gary Marshall didn't get to Arbor Day. He didn't oh, get to that one. Sadly. But he would have. He would have. But, but thankfully, have. Harold, Harold, Harold Ramis did give us the Groundhog Day romantic comedy. Um, and yeah, this is the, you know, Rita falls in love with him in one, in one day and Phil figures it out, figures out how to make that happen after, what did you say, Eric, 34 years? I think it was 33 <laughs> years and 350 oh, wow. days is what someone actually figured out yeah, was the amount wild. of time he was stuck in that time loop. Yeah, I just, this is just a timeless movie. And I, I understand that, like, it's not like a quintessential romantic comedy. And I understand that the wedding singer has, like, a lot of classic, you know, romantic comedy moments that it's hard to compete with. But um, I, after watching that one recently, there's so many moments in it that made me want to cringe and throw things at the TV. Um, and uh, Groundhog Day, I mean, I don't know, maybe I, I forgive that one more easily. But um, uh, yeah, it, it didn't make me angry so uh <laughs> that was a tough one for me and this is by the way another we have we had this um in the holiday movie uh episode but this is another um snl versus snl two rounds in a row because yeah. we had that yep. the first round too um snl versus snl good point ama where are you on this one i love the wedding singer i think that it is not only adam sandler's best work it might be my favorite 90s rom-com um mm. there's it's it's layered and it's intricate. This is going to sound a little crazy, but it's layered and intricate in the same way that I find Shakespeare in Love to be in the sense that if you watch Shakespeare in Love and have a sense of like Shakespeare's life and all of the mythology that was associated with him, like there just keep being things in the writing that clearly picks that up. And The Wedding Singer does it, yes, in a more obvious way, but like there just keep being things that remind you. It's like, oh, this is an 80s movie and this is the timing that they wanted to evoke. And it is absolutely that. There's no mistaking it. Uh, related to that, two people now have referenced Groundhog Day as a timeless movie. Is that pun intended? Because I love it. <laughs> um, Maybe. <laughs> it was definitely intended when I did it, but I also okay. think it's legitimately true. I don't feel like it, it no. belongs to any decade. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's one of those things that, like, it could come out in any time. Or, like, if someone were to reboot it, you could reboot it really in any era and it would still work. Whereas The Wedding Singer, you would have to transpose it to a different time and, like, resituate it. Mm -hmm. um, so in that regard, it may be – that one is less timeless of a movie. But at the end of the day, if I have to pick which one feels like a 90s romantic comedy for who it elevates, what it does, all of the tropes of the genre for that era, I give this to The Wedding Singer. Yeah, and I actually think the fact that it is so inextricably 90s is a point in its favor in this debate as opposed to Groundhog's Day, mm -hmm. which could be at any time. And uh, and here's the weird thing about The Wedding Singer, right? It's set in the 80s, but it's through that fresh nostalgia lens of mm -hmm. the 90s. So, yeah. like, I don't think you could make The Wedding Singer now set in the 80s and the nostalgia would work the same because at this point, 80s nostalgia has, first of all, been way overdone. Yeah. I don't feel like at that point in the 90s we had a ton of 80s nostalgia stuff yeah someone can tell me i'm wrong um I would, but like, yeah, I would say some of those jokes don't land as clearly because tw you know 20 plus years have passed yeah than when they first landed them you know at the time so like yes. if you were to make yeah. that movie now it would be about the mid 2000s 
Right. <laughs> Which is a bonkers sentence to have come out of my face. It would, I it would, as yeah, I say Lindsay it. Lohan was like the... <laughs> yep. yep. It would have been like the, the gawker years. I don't Ugh. care to see that movie, but mm-hmm. I love The Wedding Singer. I do. I love yeah. it. So I am going to advance it, even though I think Groundhog Day is a really great movie and it's surprising and it is a romantic comedy. But I think in terms of 90s romantic comedies, I'm giving the edge to the wedding singer here. So that one is advancing. Finally, in round two, the majority of the panel believes that Julie Roberts is our fair lady in two seed Pretty Woman, which is currently set to advance against three seed Can't Hardly Wait unless Joelle feels the need to slow (laughs) us down. Joelle. I think you're the Can only I do it again? decision I don't know. <laughs> Let's see. Can I try? Um, okay. Again, this is this is, this one's even weirder. I'm sorry. So I found out this is today. Literally, I watched this movie with my husband, and I found out um, he might be the uh, foremost uh, can't hardly wait ologist of the yeah. universe <laughs> because he has literally held can't hardly wait parties in his past. Wow. <laughs> How did wow. this not come up prior to the wedding? I don't know. Would I have gotten married? We don't know anymore. That's a great question. <laughs> keep learning things about each other. That yes. is, a, as I understand yes. it, is what marriage is about. 11 yeah. years and we're still learning new things. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, uh, it was great watching this movie with him. And, uh, uh, you know, there's there's some there's some lovely moments in this movie. I I understand once again, Pretty Woman is the quintessential and there's nothing quintessential about Can't Hardly Wait, but it is an unexpected standout teen romantic comedy that, uh, what I love about it is it's a very, it's very genre referential. It, Mm -hmm. it, it literally spins everything about the eighties romantic comedies and the early nineties romantic comedies. And it's like, no, no, we're just going to make fun of everything. Um, there are so many references to like, you know, um, Oh, why are the movies escaping my head? Um, 16 Candles, for example. And uh, uh, they're all running out of my head. I'm so sorry. But you name it. A movie that you've watched, if it's a teen movie, it references it. Um, big old house party movies. Um, the actual romantic thrust of the movie, I think the best one is the uh, Seth Green and Lauren Ambrose storyline. Yes. It's my yeah. absolute favorite. Yeah. Yep. It's delightful. It it just warms your little stupid heart. The Ethan Embry storyline, love Ethan Embry. Mm. His, his little face running after a uh, wooden face. Jennifer <laughs> Love Hewitt. <laughs> Excuse me, was that wooden face Jennifer Love Hewitt? Oh. Um, she really, her only point of the movie is just to stand there and look hot. And yeah. She doesn't actually say anything and act at all. Um, but Ethan Embry, boy, does he react to it anyway. Um, it was so enjoyable to watch all over again. Uh, honestly, the, the party stuff and the, and the comedy stuff was way better than the romantic stuff. I will not deny that. But I just had to talk about this movie. I, I hear that and I respect it. Uh, Jen, where are you on this one? I'm still going to go with Pretty Woman. Stay okay. stick in there. Yeah. Amma? I'm going with Pretty Woman, but I do want to honor the argument that was made because I love Can't Hardly Wait. It's one of my favorite movies. But again, I think in terms of like, in this instance, romantic comedy on the strength of the most significant romantic relationship, there's there's no contest even if they did share a love of strawberry pop tarts which who doesn't mm. they're the most generally available and it might not even have been her favorite exactly <laughs> it's so true um I, I i'm going to go with pretty woman here but i do want to t- say a quick story about can't hardly wait i saw this in the theater 
opening night and it was the moment that i realized oh god i can no longer i'm no longer a teenager and i can no <laughs> longer go and see teenage things because this was when laser pointers had just come out oh, no. and the crowd which was a oh, packed no. house took a laser pointer and every time jennifer love hewitt was Stop on the it. screen they circled her breasts with a laser oh, pointer and the crowd went wild and i was like i am too old to be in this theater in no. this moment and that was a really sobering realization um but also the people of the late 90s were disgusting yes, let's yes. just be very candid yes. about that I, I, also, I also just had a really clear memory towards the beginning of the pandemic when like uh netflix watch parties were getting bigger one of the first things i did was a group watch with a bunch of people to watch can't hardly wait and one of those people was a former producer on the bachelor <laughs> and if you watch that house there are candles lit all yes. over the place. Yes. And he he having to deal with candles for work is just like who's gonna who's gonna put out all this candles? Yes. There's a moment when a candle gets knocked over, and I was like, how did the house not go on, get lit on fire? Yeah. So like every time I watch it now, I'm always just like, who lit all those candles? Yeah. Who's gonna blow out all those candles? Who's making sure those candles don't fall over? Like it is, it has not ruined my ability to enjoy it, but it's just like a whole separate thing that I wonder and worry about now. Your perspective has changed. Yeah. So yeah, watch it with someone who worked on The Bachelor. You'll have a very different experience. <laughs> and be careful with candles at house party, kids. I think we can't say that enough. Yes. Uh, but that does mean the pretty woman will advance to round three. And that is it for round two. We're going to take a quick break to learn a group dance with Usher. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey you, yeah you. Thanks so much for listening to the great pop culture debate. We sincerely hope you're getting a kick out of our content. We love making it for you. If you love it too, please consider becoming one of our Patreons. The funds we receive from our patrons help us to continue making top-notch content like the amazing episode you're enjoying. With donation levels for every pocketbook size, you could support us for as little as $5 a month. At that level, you unlock Patreon-exclusive content that includes warm-up sessions with a ton of hilarious content for Patreon ears only. That's basically a cup of coffee these days. So how about it? Buy us a cup of coffee and we'll keep the debates rolling. Head over to www.patreon.com forward slash great pop culture debate and sign up today. And remember, everyone is entitled to their wrong opinion. And we're back for round three of our best 90s rom-com debate. During the break, we took off our glasses and let down our ponytails, and everyone realized we were secretly gorgeous the whole time. <laughs> now, before we get to continue, I want to ask my panel, how can people find you on social media? Ama? I am on Twitter and Instagram at Ama Marfo, A-M-M-A-M-A-R-F-O. And I also do a monthly online comedy show at Comedy Hub. It's called Pantry Raid, where we have comedians do stand up and then talk about their hot takes on food. And we do it every second Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Love it. Are there any hot takes on food you would like to share with us currently? Uh, kale does not want to be eaten and we should stop treating it that way. You know what? I agree. As someone who had a kale salad recently and it plugged me up for days. It doesn't want to be eaten. It doesn't want to be eaten. It is. It, kale is fighting back. Um, all right, Jen, how about you? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at jchenwriter. And in next year at this time, I'm going to have a book out, a YA rom-com called Artifacts of an X. And um, 
yes, I love rom-coms. So this was the perfect category to write, to talk about. And we are so delighted that you did it with <laughs> us. So thank you. Joelle, how about yourself? Well, first of all, I will read that book, Jen. Uh, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joelle TB, uh, and you can find my Animal Crossing slash where we talk about things related to animals or crossing with animals uh, at The Pocket Pod on all the socials, and our podcast is called Pocket Pod Animal Crossing. There you go. And you can find me at Eric Resniak on Twitter and Instagram. That's E-R-I-C-R-E-Z as in zebra, S as in snake, N as in Nancy, Y-A-K. Curtis Creekmore on this show says that my drag name should be Zebra Snake Nancy. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I'm uh, willing to embrace that, but thanks for that input. Uh, But you should also be following at Great Pop Culture Debate on Insta and at Culture underscore Debate on Twitter. We have also added TikTok for season six. So follow at Great Pop Culture Debate on there for our hot takes on music, TV, film, etc. So now let's move into that round three so we can show Cuba Gooding Jr. the money. We have a sweet 16. Let's start with 10 Things I Hate About You versus My Best Friend's Wedding. We're just going to go around the horn. Ama, where are you on this one? Oh, uh, hmm. I'm giving it to my best friend's wedding. Okay. Uh, do you want to explain why, or we want to wait until the votes come in and then you can debate? I want to see where the votes go. All right. Let's see what happens. Jen, where are you on this one? 10 things I hate about you. And Joelle? This is firmly with 10 things with me. With me. Okay. Um, I've already been very clear that I'm not a fan of 10 things I hate about you, so I am going with my best friend's wedding. Uh, right now, it is a tie. 10 things is our number one ultimate seed. Ama, do you want to speak on my best friend's wedding and try to sway votes? I mean, again, for me, the idea of having a romantic comedy where the ending of that romantic comedy is not the characters that you expect to get together getting together. Um, I think there's something valuable about having that represented here, because I think sometimes the happy ending that you want for yourself and the one that you probably actually get or need are different. And I don't think we have another movie here that represents that. So I do think that it is riotously funny in its own right. It has some people that do some pretty terrible things, but at the end of the day, they, they get a different result than you would expect to happen from a movie like this. And I just, I think that's interesting enough to honor yeah, it's such a great point. And I, looking at this uh, Elite Eight, uh, it is everything else. The couples that you want to have at the end are the couples you get at the end, except for this movie. So what a really good point. I'm going to guess that either Jen nor Joelle are going to switch on this. Is that correct, Joelle? That is correct. Jen? Correct. All right. So that means 10 things I hate about you will advance, but you did an excellent job. I'm trying to save my best friend's wedding. Again, this keeps happening. I keep coming back. It's all <laughs> We're so glad that you do. So next up, it's You've Got Mail versus But I'm a Cheerleader, our little Cinderella story. Um, I'm going to start with Joelle. Where are you on this one? Uh, I am still with But I'm a Cheerleader. I, I have a lot of feelings about why I don't like You've Got Mail. So if I need to get into them, we will. But I want to see where this goes. Okay. Jen, where are you on this one? Still sticking with But I'm a Cheerleader. It is... It's a great movie, so I'm I'm, sticking with it. I'm living for this. Ama, where are you on this one? I love both, but for the purposes of what we're doing here, I'm going You've Got Mail. Mm. Um, I I find myself drawn to that as well, Ama, to be honest, because I'm thinking overwhelming. However, there is still 
a Meg Ryan film in this Elite Eight. And of the two, I think it is the far stronger Meg Ryan Tom Hanks film. Yeah. Um, just as I'm fine with my best friend's wedding going out because we still have Julia in the mix. Um, this do you is want, do you want me to help with swaying? I would love some help with swaying. Uh, Joe fucking sucks and he's a gaslighter. Mm. <laughs> and I hate this movie. Watching this movie every time, I hate Tom Hanks more. He is a liar. He is he he just constantly lies to her over and over. He ruins her business and he lies. He finds out who she is and he lies. And she at the end still loves him anyway and can't believe it's him and so happy it's him and the dog. And don't worry, he has a dog. It's all okay. I hate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Also, that I'm a cheerleader is a queer romance that there's nothing else in this bracket mm-hmm. that has that it, at it's all. It's not only a queer romance. I love that it is primarily a lesbian romance. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. th- I mean, listen, there are a lot of great lesbian queer cinema films out there. There's no question. But it's not that often. Well, I'm going to take that back. I think if you look at Oscar films, the lesbian dramas tend to break through a lot more than the gay male dramas do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because generally lesbians tended to be more palatable to a wider audience earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it being a teenage lesbian mm-hmm. film was quite novel. There are gay characters yes. in this movie, don't get me wrong, but it is primarily about lesbians. Yeah. Um, I do think, and I think Ama is correct in this, and, and tell me if I'm putting words in your mouth, this is a cult film that the vast majority of the people in the 90s did not see. And you've got male, even though it has a deeply problematic lead male in it, was widely embraced in the 90s, even if people didn't love it as much as they loved. Like, if you're ranking the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan films, Sleepless in Seattle is clearly the winner. You've Got Mail, I think, is a, is a number two, and then Joe versus the Volcano. Am I missing one? Or was no. it just those three? Yeah, those three. I, think so I feel so like three. there should be more, because I feel like we look at them three? as, like, one of the great Hollywood screen couples. They only had three movies together. She kind of stopped acting like in the early aughts, like mm. in the cut and then like nothing. Right? Well, yes. you I know what like happened. Were, I feel I like do. there were conversations about Hollywood them doing another her. one, but it never it like materialized. Yeah. And I mean, she got screwed by the Hollywood machine. Very she much. really got screwed for in multiple Very different much. ways. And I feel like, again, that's another person that, Five, ten years from now, we will reconsider the Meg Ryan of it all because she got treated very poorly by that industry and the media. Um, And actually, where's the Meg Ryan, like, return project where she's like, she's going for Oscar bait? I want that movie. Yeah. I'm getting off topic. Um, Okay. (laughs) So, uh, Ama, you're sticking with You've Got Mail. I am. And uh, the other two are sticking with But I'm a Cheerleader. Right, Jen? Yes. Right, Joel? Yes. I, I agree with Alma's argument that like the average person listening to this is going to be like, I've never even heard of it, but I'm a cheerleader. How is it advancing to the final four? But at the same point, like, I don't feel strongly for you've got mail. I'm advancing it more on just the fact that like more people know it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I don't want to make that argument over, but I'm a cheerleader. If it was something else, maybe, but I do think, but I'm a cheerleader is a special little film. I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to advance past final four, mm-hmm. but I think for that reason, I will advance it. Even though, 
Um, I agree with you. It's crazy that a seven seed has made it to the final four. Like, I tell me whenever that has happened before. It, it's the nature of this of the, how this bracket shaped up. But I'm a cheerleader was up against some interesting things, and in any other one of these brackets, it would not have gotten this far. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's true. Um, so we will move, but I'm a cheerleader forward. It's clueless versus clueless in the S Seattle. I think this is a really hard debate. It is. Um, Jen, I'm going to start with you. I love. I mean, clueless. I watch every year. And I still think it is funny. It is still a romance. It's just, I love it. And I wouldn't say that about Sleepless in Seattle. Mm. I would say that I liked it. I could, I watched it once or twice. Great. Clueless is like, I could quote that whole movie to you. It's, and I just feel like it's the perfect end when she finally realizes that she likes him and then she doesn't know what to do with it. And and then they finally, you know, confess their feelings at the top of the stairs. It's just the perfect, perfect ending. To me. She's totally butt crazy in love with Josh. <laughs> and speaking of quoting clueless, you can listen to our best clueless quote episode from season Fantastic. five. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we have quoted almost the entire film in that one. And I know Amo is on that as well. Speaking of which Amo, where are you on this one? I'm going clueless again. Mm-hmm. I think, well, let me say this first. I think that a lot of the advancing conversations we've been having over the last several rounds are about how the movie holds up, which I'm not really sure how I feel about that, because I think there's like a way to interpret best nineties romantic comedy as something that originated in the nineties that is timeless versus something that we enjoyed a great deal in the nineties, but probably should stay there. And like, I don't know. I'm not really sure how I feel about that. Like as a, as competing thoughts as to how to advance things. But with that said, Clueless was going to win for me, whether Sleepless in Seattle held up or not. Um, but I just did what I thought about that and was like, let me just throw that out there. See what we think. Yeah. I'm having the same struggle. I really am. And it's, it's funny. I don't feel it when we've done other things that are kind of decade specific, but I'm really feeling it with this one in a way that I was not anticipating. So I'm glad that you kind of, I wonder if it's because it's romance specifically, and we're having a lot of very intensive conversations about like power dynamics and relationships and how men and women are treated and romantic comedies for good and for, for bad play a big role in that. So I wonder if like, it's a little bit different from like 90s sitcom or 90s song, whereas this has such a big impact on how we treat people that to call out bad stuff feels more natural. I think that's so right. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's a really great point to consider as we continue to move forward. Uh, Joelle, where are you on this one? So, I mean, before I even tell you my vote, I'm getting a little bit nervous about where this bracket is headed because I clearly have a preference. Um, And the teen Romantic comedy apparently in the 90s is my preference because I am actually a millennial. (laughs) And that is what happened in the 90s. All these movies came out and I loved them. Uh, And if I vote for Clueless, that is three against one and Sleepless in Seattle goes away. And that is three teen rom-coms in the final four (laughs) against whatever is in the fourth bracket here. Uh Um, And for that reason, I'm wondering... Well, it's too late. Sleepless in Seattle is not a better movie than Clueless, hands down. So Clueless has to go ahead. I'm just, I'm thinking about decisions made early on. That's all. (laughs) None of these decisions are going to change. And this is where we are. But it's interesting. And I do think that other people in other age brackets will look at this and go, you guys are all smoking something. (laughs) 
I don't know if they'll think we're smoking something as much as they'll acknowledge, like, well, clearly this is people who are under the age of 40, which is not true. I'm over Which is 40. not true. Yeah. Um, and uh, who are making Millennials are turning 40. That's right. Um, I do think there's certainly a, a, a generational component to this, for sure. Um, this is so far one of the main ones that I'm concerned about that, because I do think that Sleepless in Seattle is a definitive 90s romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. And I think that it does speak to a generation that is older than we are now. Um, but I think it's a really well-made movie for any generation. I think it is well-written. I think it is really funny. I think um, you mentioned, Joelle, Rosie O'Donnell being yeah. funny in her role, and she is. But like the dynamic between Tom Hanks and his kid is hilarious in that movie. The dynamic between, um, uh, oh my God, why am I blanking, Meg Ryan and Bill Pullman is like really weird and awkward, but also super charming in this movie. He's always charming. God damn, he's charming. It's so charming. (laughs) And like the kind of tentativeness of the whole, like like she's realizing like what I am doing is crazy, but I still feel compelled to do this. I think the fact you are seeing this as kind of like a, a counter to the argument that like the fact that they're not together for the entire movie until the last scene, at which point they hold hands. Like I thought that was like, unbelievably romantic and I, I i found myself very swoony over this film i love clueless anyone who knows me knows i love clueless and the share and josh stuff in clueless mm. is teen swoon for sure my argument here is i consider clueless more of a teen film than a romantic comedy even though it is a romantic comedy and i've made the the exact opposite argument multiple times in this episode alone but like the point of sleepless in seattle is to be a romantic comedy the point of clueless is to be a teen comedy that has romance inside of it that's my argument Hmm. so with that being said is everybody standing with clueless and i will not fault you if you do because between the two of them i'm gonna watch clueless every day all day over sleepless in seattle that's just Mm -hmm. the truth um ama you're sticking with clueless i am although one thing i do want to say about sleepless in seattle is there's an additional timeliness to it like just now in the sense that a lot of us have had to build relationships over distance because we've been forcibly separated for a while and i think the idea of it felt tremendously foreign then but chances are within the last couple years it's felt a little bit more familiar or less remote um but yeah, that being said, I am still going to stick with Clueless, but you made a beautiful argument in favor of Sleepless in Seattle. Well, thank you for that. Jen, you're sticking with Clueless? Yes. And Joelle? I mean, even if I change Sleepless in Seattle, it doesn't matter because Clueless right. is a one seed. Very true. All right. So with that being said, uh, Clueless advances. Next up, it's The Wedding Singer versus Pretty Woman. Uh, I'm going to start with mm, Ama. So to the argument we just made, to knock Pretty Woman out at this point, again, feels wrong, feels odd. Like I'm genuinely unsure how we got here, but I also in my original bracket had Wedding Singer going to the championship and I stand by that. I do, again, have said a couple times already, it is one of my, it might be my absolute favorite rom-com of the 90s and so many people do like career best work in it. Um, Again, I always think about the fact that like anytime I hear the regular version of Madonna's Holiday, I actually just hear (laughs) Adam Sandler singing it sobbing. Probably like a TJ Maxx or like a Whole Foods and just go, Holiday! 
And like Adam Sandler oh does not grab my consciousness in any other situation <laughs> like that. And like as we've seen from his output in the last couple of years, it's declined by a great yeah. deal. But I just feel yeah. like he's at the height of his powers here. Even for those who like things like Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore, which I do, of course, he couldn't have gotten here without those things. Yeah. So I, I hate not I hate knocking Pretty Woman out because again, it's one of those things that just feels like a formality in this bracket but i love it so much that i couldn't take the wedding singer out at this point let me offer this as a counter to the guilt you're feeling about knocking out the pretty pretty woman the sleepless in seattle's the more expected choices that are getting knocked out in this elite eight it's the pepperoni argument right where we Mm -hmm. just assume certain things are going to advance because we all believe that culturally those are the things that everybody loves but if all four people on this podcast are saying between these two movies, I find the other one far more entertaining. It's funnier. I find the romance more captivating. I don't think we should dismiss that. I think mm-hmm. Pretty Woman is like it is kind of shorthand for, oh, it's a 90s romantic comedy. But it is also, at the end of the day, a story about a hooker who gets mm-hmm. picked up by a John. And they actually kind of come to like each other because they realize, oh, hey, when we like take the power dynamics out of this, like... I actually enjoy being around you. That's a great story. I'm not knocking it, but there's certain elements to it that are a little bit uncomfortable, whereas The Wedding Singer has none of that baggage. So I think we have to own that. I think that goes also back to the point that you were making, like, okay, but in the 90s, we weren't really thinking about it that way. We were just accepting Mm -hmm. it as like, oh my God, Julia Roberts and Richard Gere are so cute together, which they were, and I love it when they let her shop. But um, Jen, (laughs) what about you? Hands down, Wedding Singer. I just, it's one of those movies that always makes me happy and I think still has fantastic comedy in it and a romance. So it has to advance, in my opinion. Joelle. So I watched The Wedding Singer today. I think I already mentioned that. And I wrote down my notes and I know we already talked about like not judging these movies that we loved in the past against our current, you know, lenses. But there were so many moments in it that made me so angry and cringy that I, I just, it made me sad. Um, the um, Alexis Arquette character, mm-hmm. the way they behave around her. And I mean, I guess at the time they referred to her as him and I don't know the preference at the time. Um, but the way that they behaved around Alexis Arquette was abysmal. <laughs> Yeah, uh, like literally disgusted and discomfort. And watching those scenes, I I was like, fast. Can I fast forward? I'm going to fast forward. At the same time, this this character was on screen and like actually had visibility where you know ninety percent of movies they wouldn't have been. Sure. Um, there the scenes where uh, uh, he was fat shaming and nerd shaming people and they just like accepted it and that was okay and like no lessons were learned nothing was you know it, it I, enra- just enraging watching some of those scenes in the movie and like just literally the first half of the movie I just wanted to like spit fire at it and then you get to the sweet you know moments where he's like you know things are getting better and he's they're falling in love and everything's sweet and charming and they're planning their, their wedding and all that's great and so like literally the second half of the movie fine first half of the movie infuriating and i can't get past that um i'll be honest i haven't watched pretty woman that often so it's hard for me to compare these two um i remember liking it (laughs) this one's a real tough one for me it's like 
one a movie that made me mad, a movie that I love, split in half, and then a movie that I have very very little feeling about. Mm-hmm. Um, Pretty Woman is more quintessential, be like you know romantic comedy. Wedding Singer, I have more songs from it that I like. <laughs> I think Wedding Singer is quintessential romantic comedy too, though. Like yeah. I don't know, like yeah. I would not put it into any other genre. I really Drew Barrymore with her little mm-hmm. flippy haircut. Yes, <laughs> she's so cute in that movie. My God. Yeah. Um, if it helps you in any way, even if you you were to vote for Pretty Woman and I were to vote for Pretty Woman, it doesn't matter because Wedding Singer is a one seed. Pretty yeah. Woman is a two seed. So we're wringing our hands over this, but even the listeners when they voted put Wedding Singer over Pretty Woman. Which I think is true. So we wow. got we got three wow. one seeds and a seven seed, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> but before we get to those final four matchups, we're going to take one more quick break so we can terrorize our best friend's fiance in the hopes that he'll dump her and marry us instead. We'll be right back after these messages. And we're back with the final four of the best 90s rom-com debate. Let's look at what we have. It's 10 Things I Hate About You versus But I'm a Cheerleader, Clueless versus The Wedding Singer. Nobody on this panel saw this coming. We are all as shocked as you are. And if you're very angry at us that some of the other seeds went out earlier, uh, I would remind you that A, uh, the polls and the brackets are decided by people like you who take the the actual polls that decides the seeds and b we're going with our honest opinions here and um you don't always i will make the argument that something that appeared at the time to be more popular doesn't always mean it's better let's say that so popularity doesn't always mean quality and i do think these are for great movies even if i don't care for one of them i acknowledge that 99.9 percent of the population does so first up it's 10 things i hate about you versus but i'm a cheerleader let's start with jen where are you going i'm gonna go with but i'm a cheerleader and i know we talked about it being a cult and a cult classic not a cult (laughs) there's a difference there i'm in one of those but that we don't talk about but i will say i think with but i'm a cheerleader what's still like I still, I, since I watched it recently, I still think about it, and I don't think about ten things I hate about you in the same way. Like there's moments where I, I think about like the the stuff that they were saying in there about women and how to be a woman and how to take care of children. Like the it was so it rang true for today, mm-hmm. which felt really like I mean obviously you know what's going on in the world. So there was just a lot of it that I felt like I identify with this, and it's still from the nineties. Like, I don't feel that way about 10 things I hate about you. I think, but a mature leader has like themes in it that are still very present today. Um, the like conversion stuff and just, you know, subverting who you are and, and also what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, all of that. It just, I think it's, it's got so many layers to it. Whereas 10 things I hate about you is just, it's fine. It's, but to me, is not as memorable and, and will not stick with me as long as, but I'm a cheerleader. Yeah. And what's fascinating to me about that argument is that it was a movie that's about 30 years old now and mm-hmm. it still resonates with you. And it's a movie that is so steeped in the 50s. So mm-hmm. it was kind of trading on nostalgia from 40 years before it was made. And like it has these weird echoes to it. And the fact that it's still relevant now in the 20s is just 
bonkers to me, but that yeah. shows you as much as we progressed, we haven't progressed that much at all. Like the, I was just going to point out, there's that scene where she like goes to protest at the gay, to the gay couple's house that she makes them, all the teenagers make protest signs yes. and they all show up. And I'm just like, well, that's kind of what's still happening. Totally. You know? I mean, I know yeah. that was a, a joke in that section and the kids didn't really believe it, but I was like that people still have those signs. And I think there are probably a, a, a number of teenagers who are forced to do those signs with their mm-hmm. parents now mm-hmm. for protests who have no idea what they're saying, but they're going along with it because that's what they have to do and that's what they're taught. Um, Ama, where are you on this? So as I look at the bracket and the things that got knocked out to get us to the final four, I suppose I'm thinking about this next stage is like what movies could realistically supplant those as like the gold standards of rom-com so if we've knocked out my best friend's wedding you've got male sleepless in seattle and pretty woman which was what i expected to be our final four Mm -hmm. like what movies could like in theory realistically replace those in the general consciousness and i think that 10 things i hate about you has better potential for that for a number of reasons i think being good representative of the overall trend of where teen movies were going at the time the strength of the cast what the cast went on to do um and that is true of But I'm a Cheerleader, but I think in a larger collective consciousness way, 10 Things feels like the better fit here. Yeah, I hear that for sure. Uh, Joelle? Yeah, so I, I realize I haven't actually talked much about this movie yet. Um, there's there's some scenes in this movie. You know, we, we talked early on about um, the big romantic gestures and, uh, you know, the, the big Heath Ledger moment in that movie that I, I will never unsee that scene that that scene it you know lives in my head and you know i I think about you know that song um but it's not just that scene there are moments in that movie that stick with me and i i relive in my head all the time i relive the moment when uh bianca shoots the arrow at the teacher (laughs) i (laughs) i relive the moment when uh uh uh, cat uh tells the shitty shitty poem that doesn't rhyme uh not even a little bit not even at all (laughs) um i uh how many promposals by the way have uh come because of this uh movie like every single teenager in the aughts and up through the are we in the do you say the 20s we're in the 20s we're in the 20s uh but (laughs) promposals are like a legit thing and i swear to god 10 things i hate about you like started that trend um i know the hills or whatever probably did or or whatever that show was before um (laughs) but um Wow, why am I referencing that right now? Anyway, um, I, the, fun, the, the movie is funny. The movie sticks with me. Oh my God, Alice and Janney's erotica. Yes. <laughs> so good. Al, Andrew Keegan in the underwear ads. The dad in the pregnancy suit is so problematic, but I don't forget it. <laughs> um, uh, uh, what's his name? Wanting to buy a Tercel. The name, Bogie Lowenstein. Just the name. <laughs> <laughs> Bogey Lowenstein. That's everything I wrote down there. Um, I just the, the movie's funny. The movie sticks with me. The romantic pieces, the the paintball and the, the, the I don't know, just the, the guitar in the car. I, I I don't know. I love it. I love this movie. It has my vote. I'm and done. so the the good news slash bad news is, regardless of what I vote, ten things that go goes to the finals. Mm. I'm still not a huge fan of the movie. It just doesn't click with me. But I do agree that. I mean, it's our ultimate number one seed. It is beloved by most people. I agree with Jen's argument that But I'm a Cheerleader is a far more interesting romantic comedy and it has more social relevance and resonance. Mm-hmm. 
but in terms of the movie that I think that exemplifies 90s rom-coms, I'm going to give it to 10 Things I Hate About You, but I'm a cheerleader, which I think falls into a couple different categories, and I'm sure we'll do those debates at some point too. But um, even if I don't care for it personally, I'm going to give it to 10 Things I I Hear. That leaves the last matchup of Clueless versus The Wedding Singer. I'm going to (laughs) start with Jen. This is a hard one. It is hard. And I, but at the same time, well, ultimately pick Clueless. And I, I, I love that movie. I just, I cannot tell you how much I love that movie other than I think it also is one of the most diverse movies of its time. I know that sounds, I mean, it's not a ton of diversity, but it is like, I remember there's an Asian character in it. Like I didn't see anybody Asian in a nineties teen comedy at all. So I just feel like it's something that to me epitomizes like romance it's also based on Emma, which is a romance. Like mm-hmm. that's that's the whole book. So I feel like there is grounds for it being a romantic comedy because it started from the base of being a, based on a romance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if you were to like sit somebody from our age bracket down, they would could reference Clueless. I think more than The Wedding Singer. And I love The Wedding Singer. I think it's a great movie. But if you were gonna make me choose which you are obviously (laughs) (laughs) i'm choosing clueless i have to it's it's so good you guys i just i love it i love it i love it and i will i will die on that hill for it it's a totally important designer um (laughs) joelle um i love clueless <laughs> I'm totally butt crazy in love with Clueless. I love Clueless. Uh, we haven't even talked about how much I love Clueless. It is hands down one of my favorite movies in the whole wide world. And I know I say that a lot about a lot of movies, but like, I wish I was on that podcast with all of you quoting this movie. Mm. It is so good. It. Oh, uh, I can also visualize ninety percent of the scenes in this movie. <laughs> um, and yeah, everything I said about the wedding singer holds true. This is better than that. So uh, Clueless, yeah. All right, Ama. I mean, I gotta give it to Clueless here, and this is that, and that surprises even me because my original bracket when I filled it out had the wedding singer going to the championship, but it wasn't going up against Clueless at that point. So we're having a different conversation here. But yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, again, like that future echelon of like what are the future classics? I think that Clueless fits that bill in a manner better than The Wedding Singer. I enjoy both so much, but Clueless has a slight edge here. So I went and I checked the seeds and the way that the seeds worked out, like just in order, 10 things I hate about you got the most votes. Clueless got the second most votes. Mm. The Wedding Singer, the third most votes. (laughs) So there you go. Um, uh, I think I'm going to give it to Clueless as well, even though I find myself... um, pressing against it because part of me feels like we've already given on this podcast so much exposure to clueless that i feel like we've we've been there done that but for the average listener you don't care you didn't record those episodes so that's kind of a pointless (laughs) argument (laughs) also i think i tried to make an argument in the last round about how like because it was a movie about the 80s made in the 90s the wedding singer has a very peculiar place that's fine but clueless is quintessential 90s it is encapsulating that that decade in a way that the wedding singer really doesn't so if i had to like weigh the two i do think the romance part of the wedding singer is stronger than the romance part of clueless Mm -hmm. i will say that but 
do I think that Clueless is a better movie overall? I do. So people are going to have some opinions about this episode, y'all. Um, all right. It's a final two of 10 things I hate about you versus Clueless. I am going to start at the top of the order. Ama, which one should win? Uh, I hate that my name starts with an A. Uh, <laughs> I know. I'm giving it to Clueless. I do think that, again, when we're talking about like, in 30 years, which of these movies is more likely to be in conversation as a teen comedy remember, as a romantic comedy remember, as a movie that kind of everyone has their moment of remembering where they were, how it impacted them. Uh, Clueless will fit that bill in a manner greater than 10 Things I Hate About You. And I love both, but Clueless wins here. Okay. Jen. Clueless. Hands down for me. I had that going all the way in my original bracket, and I just... I can't, I wouldn't pick anything else. Like there's nothing that can compete. Nothing holds a candle to Clueless okay. for me. Joelle. <laughs> I guess in this bracket, in this moment in time, this is, I guess, a Shakespeare story versus a, a Jane Austen story. Yep. Oh, dang. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I always preferred one over the other. So it's Clueless. <laughs> And I will say this. I think there's actually something very fitting about the fact that our final two were teen films that were made out of adaptations of much earlier author works because that was a defining like film thing of the 90s yes for sure romeo and juliet this is this is a genre i I asked you for at some point eric i wanted i wanted this genre and this turned into this accidentally it can honestly (laughs) merit its own full bracket uh, and should it i've asked please for sure I would happily be on that episode. Excellent. Consider yourselves hired. Um, <laughs> but that means I, I personally, I will say that I actually think I would give it to the wedding singer here. And that's just me. Oh, wait, the wedding singer's not in contention. 10 things I hate about you versus Clueless. Then I give it to Clueless because I don't like 10 things I hate about you. Ta-da! <laughs> uh, and there you have it. Our pick for the best room 90s romantic comedy is Clueless. Do you agree? Have we broken your heart? Tell us how you really feel by leaving a comment on this episode at greatpopculturedebate.com or find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube. While you're there, make sure you subscribe and follow the podcast so you can hear about what new debates are coming soon, vote in open polls, and even decide which topics we tackle next. I want to say thank you to my panel. You had me at hello. And thank you for listening. If you loved what you heard, please consider supporting us on Patreon, where you can get even more exclusive content and you get episodes a whole day early. We hope you have a good one. And remember, everyone is entitled to their wrong opinion. <laughs>